0: The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hamelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist. I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food and food health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And I'm delighted today to have as my guest Mary Bauer, who is the legal director for the Southern Poverty Law Center based in Montgomery, Alabama. I was attracted to Mary's latest report that has to do with the injustice that is served on our plates. In fact, the name of her report is The Injustice on Our Plates, and it has to do with undocumented women immigrants who serve in our food industry. Mary, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I have to start by asking you how you became interested and involved in this work. I
1: actually was in law school, and I saw a little three-by-five note card posted on a bulletin board to come work with migrant farm workers, and I thought that sounded really interesting. I had spoke Spanish and went out and volunteered with a group and became really um interested in the people who produce our food. Uh, I was really struck by sort of how hard the work was and is and how how terrible the pay is, kind of how much people endure to p- put food on our our tables.
0: Yes, and I I find it very interesting that so much of our food is harvested and processed by a group of faceless people who it seems uh, Americans are in a, are in the throes of disliking and wanting wanting them to leave and yet not recognizing the value that we gain from them every day yeah
1: i think that's absolutely true i mean one of the kind of points that we do try to make in this report is that undocumented immigrants are not some people some kind of niche issue that the American people kind of don't have anything to do with. The truth is that every single one of us who eats in the United States, that is, you know, basically all of us, are deeply connected to undocumented immigrants because they form the majority of the workforce that that picks and processes our food. So, you know, when we talk about illegal immigration, as people say. You know, it's not something that affects other people. It's something that very much affects us. Every day we accept the benefits of these workers' labor. And
0: yet the propaganda that we hear in the media about these individuals, things like they're taking American jobs, they're... They're robbing us of our benefits. They're robbing us of our, you know, they're polluting our environment. Their, their children are coming into our schools. How do we best come up against those kinds of comments? How do we best respond to them? Well, I think we come up against
1: those comments by being willing to look at the facts and being willing to look at what is real research. And, and research overwhelmingly shows that, Immigrants, including undocumented immigrants, provide far more in benefits to our economy than they detract. And and that's, you know, sort of across the board true. Now, Now, that's not to say that there aren't instances where undocumented immigrants do bad things, but certainly overall the data shows that they have a dramatic positive effect on our economy. And in fact, Statistics about our Social Security Administration Fund shows that there are literally billions and billions of dollars in that fund that are directly attributable to undocumented immigrants and for which those immigrants will never receive benefits. So people are paying into the tax system and not receiving benefits in exchange. So I think we have to, you know, when people say kind of hate-filled, vitriolic, angry things about immigrants, we have to be willing to to look at kind of the factual basis for that and to say, you know, that's not really true. Why do we hate them? I think that it is easy, and particularly in difficult economic times as we are in, it is easy to be angry and to blame people who seem or who are different. That That is easy. But when we look at the suffering that immigrants in the food industry in particular endure to make our lives possible, I think it 's hard to come away from those stories, those real life stories still filled with hate
0: mm-hmm. well, in writing this report, you interviewed approximately one hundred and fifty women who were either currently undocumented or spent time in the United States as undocumented immigrants and all of those women worked in the food industry, is that correct? That, that's correct, both in the fields, poultry processing,
1: meat packing, egg processing, and virtually every kind of field crop, vegetables and fruit.
0: Were there any stories in particular that are still hard for you to shake? There were a lot of sad stories. There were
1: so many sad stories that it's hard to focus on any individually. I, I think that... What struck me in particular was not any particular story, but the cumulative trauma that women experienced. And what we've heard over and over again was women who were subjected to many forms of violence and abuse. One woman I recall had been a victim of domestic violence in her marriage in Mexico. She came to the United States crossed illegally in the desert and was viciously assaulted and left for dead in the desert, finally was rescued, made it to the United States and suffered a series of terrible jobs in which she was sexually harassed and assaulted on the job, subjected to wage theft that is, you know, cheated out of her wages. And, and, really when i when i talked to her it was clear that she was suffering some from a kind of post traumatic stress disorder that that it was just it was too much for one person to kind of be able to bear an experience and that more than anything was what really i think struck us as we did these interviews that it wasn't a case of a woman who had a terrible thing happen to her it was a case of women who endured abuse after abuse, and and in particular, the sexual harassment and violence in the workplace that was so rampant that women experienced it time and time again.
0: Mm. And then in addition to that, the lack of the kinds of facilities that we take for granted. So when we're working and we have to go to the bathroom, we can get up and go when we need to. Or before we eat lunch, we can wash our hands because there are places to go where there's a sink and running water and soap. And so, in addition to the the most horrific offenses, such as the sexual harassment and the violence, there's also just the comforts of daily living, where even our basic needs can't be met.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, and, and you see that that is true for, of course, for both men and women that they they work in fields that often lack. Facilities, And in fact, you know, in, in small farms, the law doesn't even require that there be those kinds of facilities. And there are real health consequences to that. Mm-hmm. They're working in fields that are covered in pesticides, and there's no facility for cleaning up. People have to go to the bathroom one way or another, whether there's a facility or not. But, you know, for women, it's particularly, you know, humiliating and scary to be out in a field with mostly male workers and to not have a restroom facility it means that they have to you know basically pull down their pants in some sort of public place with men who may be sexually harassing them. Um, mm-hmm. and so women do describe holding in their urine as long as they can, resulting in urinary tract infections and other kinds of health consequences. in the poultry processing plants and the meat packing plants, we heard a lot about women simply being, denied access to restroom breaks, even though there were restrooms there. They're told that they can't move, can't take, get off the line because it will just disrupt the processing with the same kinds of health consequences.
0: Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that in the summary of the report, there's mentioned that with regard to pesticide poisoning, there are an estimated 10,000 to 20,000 cases of physician-diagnosed pesticide poisonings among US farm workers. And I'm thinking to myself, and that's for the people who get to the physician.
1: How well that's true. I mean I've represented I don't probably thousands of farm workers at this point in my life and I've only come across, you know, a handful of people who've been to a physician and largely that's that's because of, you know, our our office's advocacy. But we've certainly represented many, many workers who have talked about their experience of being directly sprayed or having the pesticides drift upon them. And and as I'm sure you know, the the effects of pesticide poisoning can mirror lots of common illnesses, including the flu. So people get sick and they stay home and they don't go to the doctor much of the time because they don't have access to the doctor or it's going to cost a lot of money. So you're right that in all of these cases, these kinds of statistics are grossly underreported, particularly for this population.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking to a, a gentleman in California who, um, he, he was involved with some strawberry grower cases, and he had mentioned that many times in the communities, there's a reluctance to re- even report all of the negative effects of the pesticides because the people who are in power don't want that kind of information reported.
1: Yeah, and I think that that is correct, and I think it is not limited to pesticide poisoning. Mm -hmm. There is a real reluctance for workers to report bad and illegal things that happen to them, and that's not because the workers are simply afraid or timid. It's because the system in which they operate does punish people who come forward, and it is in, in the system that we have, it is entirely reasonable and rational for people to choose not to report illegal behavior by employers because we see workers who come forward and complain get fired for farm workers who often are provided housing by their employer. In many cases, being fired means you're also evicted. We've seen workers turned over to ICE, to Immigration Customs Enforcement, and put in deportation proceedings. We've seen workers... Threatened with extreme violence when they come forward and complain, so it's not crazy that workers don't come forward and report these kinds of instances.
0: You know, what's so interesting, Mary, is we desperately need these people to work. We need people out in the fields harvesting strawberries and celery and and making sure we have that nice chicken breast available to us when we come home at night. So. What I don't understand is why we're not welcoming people to work in these jobs and helping them be most productive as opposed to making their lives living hell for providing us our basic needs. Well, I think
1: that's a great question. I'm not sure I know entirely the answer to it, but I think we certainly have seen over the last decade what advocates refer to as the criminalization of immigration. And and it it really is kind of an assumption that immigrants are criminals. I mean, I think the very use of the word illegal as a a noun Mm -hmm. is kind of a way to marginalize and criminalize people. I mean, I've done things that are against the law as a driver. I speed, right? But I'm not inherently an illegal person people who are here out of status have typically committed a civil violation of the immigration code it doesn't make their very existence unlawful but there's a there's a real demonization of immigrants that is based often on anger and hatred and xenophobia but but also on on factual error really. Now that's not to say that we all have to agree on what is an appropriate level of immigration or immigration policy. I think you know we can have a vibrant discussion about what our immigration policy should be, but but what I'm struck by is really kind of the level of hatred and anger and vitriol in the public debate about this issue.
0: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mary Bauer. She's the legal director at the Southern Poverty Law Center based in Montgomery, Alabama. And her latest report is called Injustice on Our Plates, Immigrant Women in the U.S. Food Industry. You know, Mary, I wonder sometimes, are the employees, are the, excuse me, are the employers ever worried that they'll not have enough? Workers with all of this emphasis on beefing up the border control and keeping people out, who is going to work in the fields? Yeah, I mean, I, you certainly hear employers talking
1: about that, and there have actually been some legislative proposals to legalize the workforce, like bill known as ag jobs that many growers have signed on to conceptually. But the truth is that when there is immigration enforcement, It's typically not the employers who are paying the price. It's typically the workers whose lives are being destroyed, whose families are being ripped apart. Um, Yeah, that
0: makes no sense to me. Well, I I think that is
1: the system that we have gives employers often kind of a plausible deniability. They have to complete an I-9 form. They may know... Generally, that the vast majority of their workers are undocumented, but they have a piece of paper that kind of shields them from liability in most cases, in which they can say, "Oh no, they they completed this this form, and I legitimately believed they were documented." And it in many ways, provides them kind of the best of both worlds. They get a very scared and compliant workforce, and they have this protection or this this appearance that they are complying with the law.
0: Mm. You mentioned in the report that many times when women come to the United States, they will have children here, and then the children are U.S. citizens by birthright. I'm sure that introduces another whole level of fear that they will be torn apart from their children. Are there any protections against that happening?
1: Well, I mean, yes yes, and no. Uh, certainly even if women in deportation proceedings you can take their children home with them if they are deported to another country but in practice it rips families apart and particularly after children have lived here for long periods of time and really you know families have deep ties in the community and and you do see sort of children who in every way except on a piece of paper are Americans that they have grown up their entire lives here, that they've gone to school here, that they're deeply immersed in our communities. And here I'm t- thinking about sort of un- undocumented kids who come here as when they're very young. You know, even when the kids are U.S. citizens, mothers are very, very fearful of being taken into immigration proceedings, obviously, if they don't have kind of a backup system to care for their children. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, we, I've, we've heard women tell stories about not wanting to leave home. They go to work, they go to the grocery store, they don't want to go anywhere else because every time they leave the house, there's some risk that their family will be ripped apart.
0: Hmm. That's a terrible fear that many of us don't ever have to think about. But as food consumers, I think it's important that we understand where our food is coming from and what some of the hardships are that, that we're really consuming along with that food. And that brings me to my next question, which is, what can we as food consumers do it sounds to me like the abuse is so rampant and so widespread that a simple boycott of one particular company isn't going to touch it
1: i think that's right and i think you know we we have in our report a number of kind of specific recommendations for you know, ways that the federal government and agencies can do a better job enforcing the law but i think the conclusion we came to at the end was that there really is no easy out. We, we don't call for boycotts of specific stores. We don't call upon people to buy local or only organic food, although I would say we are certainly sympathetic to those causes. Our review of the conditions showed that it's not an isolated problem. It's a systemic problem in our current system, Immigrant women are routinely abused with impunity because of their immigration status. And thus, only fair immigration reform can fix this. That's that's where we came to. And we said, you know, in the end, if you eat and you care about the way your food is produced, then you should be out there calling for immigration reform. It's not something that has to do with strangers who have no connection to you. It has to do with people who have picked by hand the beautiful food that is on your table.
0: Well, I thought it was important, too, that you mentioned that the workplace conditions that affect the immigrant workers are also eroding all workers. Well, that's
1: that's obviously true, I think, that where... A significant subclass of immigrants or a significant subclass of workers can be abused without consequence. That's bad for all workers in that industry. It erodes wages and working conditions for everyone. Right. And so you know if if you're a workers' rights advocate, immigration reform is a necessity.
0: Do you think we have any chance of having immigration reform anytime soon?
1: I don't know the answer to that. That's that's certainly not my area of study. I, I will say it doesn't look hopeful to those of us who are sitting on the outside watching the discussion in Washington, watching the level of vitriol. But I do believe that the American people, when confronted with the, the circumstances under which their food is produced, would want better than this. I, I mean, I, I believe that the American people are largely generous and decent people and that most people would not want our food to be produced by men and women and you know obviously here we're we're focused on the women who are subjected to brutal abuse on the job and so i believe you know the the best that we can do is to continue to kind of tell these stories and to to say over and over again you know We're not talking about people who are out there committing heinous crimes. We are not talking about that. We're talking about people who are performing grueling work under abusive conditions to make our bountiful lives
0: possible. On your website, you do have recommendations for us all to read and reflect upon, and they're complicated recommendations for the average eater, for the average citizen to look at this and and take it all in and say, okay, now what can I do? How can I best implement some of these recommendations? Is it simply to make a call to our representatives and our senators and let them know that we're paying attention and we want these specific changes?
1: I think that's right. I mean, I think we see, you know, there there certainly are changes on, On state levels that are possible. You know, one of the uh, issues that we talk about in the report is the notion of agricultural exceptionalism that is enshrined in the law. That is, that in the new, when the New Deal was passed, there was a, a very clear deal made to exclude farm workers from basic labor law protections. That was a deal between President Roosevelt and, you know, basically the southern senators. That was the way he could could uh, kind of enact a compromise to make um, some of New Deal protections go forward. Some of that exceptionalism, much of that exceptionalism is still enshrined in our law. It is a clear product of kind of historical racism and particularly, you know, in an effort to keep the plantation system in the South uh, going forward. So that's something that people could call to change. Why is it that people who work in a factory get overtime pay if they work more than 40 hours but people who are working doing grueling works work in the fields don't that's a product of that historical system and that's a product of the race of the people who was who were doing that work in the south
0: Hmm. mary we just have a couple of minutes and i want to make sure i give you an opportunity to share anything with our listeners that i may have neglected to ask
1: Sure. I think, you know, one of the things that we thought about in publishing this report was 50 years ago at Thanksgiving, there was a a very famous documentary called Harvest of Shame in which Edward R. Moreau uh, actually went and interviewed migrant farm workers in the South and then, you know, throughout the nation as they traveled and and shocked the conscience of our nation at that time. It was a very well-viewed documentary. And for those of us who do this work, you know, we watch it still and it's powerful to see how little has changed other than the demographics of the population. The folks that, uh, Edward Armour interviewed were, were black or white. And now we see that this population is largely Latino. But in many, many ways, the conditions haven't changed. And, you know, and that really is, you know, quite shameful in a country this, Wealthy
0: and Bountiful. Very important point. I want to remind our listeners that we've been speaking with Mary Bauer. She's the legal director of the Southern Poverty Law Center based in Montgomery, Alabama, and she is the co-author of a very important report called Injustice on Our Plates, Immigrant Women in the U.S. Food Industry. If you're interested in reading this report, it is available online at www.s p l that stands for the southern poverty law center.org and i what i really appreciate about this report is not only the stories that are revealed of the women who bring us our food but also the recommendations and i i think it's important for all of us as food consumers to shift into a food citizen role and to even if it's just take one issue i i really like for example the line speed in poultry poultry processing plants, if it's just one issue that you find in here that speaks to you, get in touch with your representatives, get in touch with your senators, and let them know that you're paying attention and watching how they vote on these. Do you think that's a fair, uh, a fair charge, Mary?
1: I, I echo that call to action.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much for this report. Thank thank you for having
1: me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, it was my pleasure. And I want to thank you so much for your work in general with the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I also want to thank our listeners for joining us. Food Sleuth Radio is brought to you in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri, at the studios of KOPN. And thank you, listeners, for joining us, and thank you, Mary.
1: Thank you.